And we are live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Soul Survivor podcast. We're recapping episode 11 of season 40, Survivor Winners at War. It was a great one. Are we watching a rerun of Kageon? Like, did I go back to 2014 and I'm watching Kageon again? Because that's what I just saw back there. <laughs> Absurd. I mean, look, it was, it was absolutely unreal to see Tony, as you called it, Ryan, Tony 1.0, Kageon Tony is back officially. The pendulum is swinging back and forth, and we love to see it. That was much-needed vintage Tony tonight. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've been waiting all season, and we finally got it. Now, before we kick off the recap, I just want to say that apparently, now hopefully my brother was right in his sourcing here, but that apparently was a record number of confessionals for a single episode by Tony tonight. He had 18 confessionals in a single episode, which is insane. Now that makes sense because of everything that happens. He found the idol and then had to deal with the advantage and then orchestrated the votes. So there was a lot going on record number of confessionals for Tony and what an episode. Tony has 18 confessionals wins his second immunity in a row. As we will see, he didn't win any in his first season to get two more fire tokens and Right now, looking like the front runner. We love to see Tony back on our screens. Amazing. Yeah, and uh, anything else you want to add, Hef, before we get right into the recap? I mean, Dylan, I guess all I can say is, uh, come on in, guys! <laughs> and I just want to put on the record here before we move on that Hef did have Tony as his winner's vote, winner's vote, and we all la- me and Ryan laughed at him preseason. And now, you never know what could happen. He had, he, had, wait, he had his winner's pick at Tony preseason? Yeah, I think you could you could scroll back onto our men. Have to go back. That, I don't remember that. Ooh, you gonna apologize to me? Not yet. <laughs> he hasn't won yet. Listen, yeah. I want Tony to win more than anybody. But you were in on this podcast three weeks ago saying he's not doing anything. I would. He's not really playing a winning game right now. He's gonna be well, a zero even final. last week. I was saying that he he flipped the switch tonight. I distinctly recall you saying zero vote finals. But yes, Tony <laughs> on tonight. And you know what? I stand by one of those predictions, either zero vote finalist or winner. Okay, okay, okay. All right, so let's get right to it. So the episode starts with Jeremy at camp by himself because he had just walked out of tribal. Um, he did. He did end up escaping. Now we got we got some clarification, much needed after that. Um, he definitely was going to be the target, and Michelle was not in on the vote. So clearly they did, and I don't want to get into a whole numbers conversation again, but clearly they did not split the votes properly if they didn't know Michelle was with them. Um, I got to call a quick time out here. Okay, go for it. So guys, I went back and did some research on the last episode. Oh. Remember when Sophie called that five-person huddle? Yes. Michelle went into the huddle uninvited, and that's why she voted against them. So I don't know where that commentary was coming from from her tonight. I completely I, – I need to go back and watch that episode again. I still haven't gotten to do it because I've been so busy. But I didn't recall Michelle being in that huddle. I guess she overheard Neither did it. I until I watched it over. Or, I mean, even if she wasn't in the huddle or even if they saw her and didn't tell her Tyson until she turned around and left, she either wasn't in on it or she clearly panicked and voted Tyson. But she was not in on the plan, though. So. Yeah, uh, definitely interesting. It was really weird to see like Tony, uh, Jeremy, I mean, Jeremy had that confessional where he's like, and I saw them come back one by one. Obviously, I believe this advantage has never been played before. Is that correct? Fact check, Ryan. Extortion? No, that we'll get to that in a second. But uh, what, what Jeremy advantage? advantage, immunity without power. 
Yeah, safety without power. This is the first time we have seen it played. We did see it being offered as a potential advantage to Janet last season, who chose not to play Robin Sanders' game. But this is the first time we're seeing it in use. Okay. Yeah. So it was definitely, um, definitely uh, interesting to see uh, how that all unfolded. And it was really weird. It looked like they like refused to tell Jeremy like what the vote was at first, and like he was like, "Well, he's like, what are we doing here?" Like people were clearly like, they were they were mad that their plan didn't go through. Simple as that. Um, but yeah, to move on with the episode. So it looked like it was clear 5-4 um, with Kim, Jeremy, Michelle, and Denise being on the bottom. And, you know, there was a lot of talk going into this episode about that 5-4. Was this a 5-4 that was going to stay strong and just pick them off? But come on, this is Survivor, new school Survivor, I should say. This doesn't happen anymore. No, I mean... In today's day and age, like we keep hearing and seeing, the new school never really sits still. You can't always think a deficit means that you're going to go out. This isn't the old school pagonging that we're used to seeing. A lot of times in these seasons, people get restless. People want to make good TV. People want to be seen as a great player with a flashy move set. So you might be in a deficit and you might lose a number here and there, but it never means you're completely out of this ever. Yeah, I, I didn't expect that five, four to stay for more than maybe another episode. And as we saw, that was, that was the way it went. Um, And then shortly after that, everyone passes out after the crazy tribal and Tony 1.0 Kage and Tony comes right back and just runs into the woods. Now I was like, as soon as that happened, I'm like, Oh, he's, he's going to, he's about to find this idol. And then all of a sudden, Nick plays the role that he's played all season. It kind of, as Tony said, he's like, yeah, he's creeping in on me. Like that's that's literally what Nick's edit has been this entire season. He's just butting in on conversations and now he's butting in on Tony trying to find the idol. But Tony does play the smart move and tells him to go to the water well while he takes the other area. And Tony obviously knew he said that he it wasn't at the water well because he had already looked. So classic move by Tony. Good for him for finding his first idol of the season. Also, what are the odds that we have a, uh, our virtual finale and while Jeff's talking to three people on Zoom, Nick pops into the chat and Nick just creeps in once again. <laughs> his, uh, edits. I'm calling it right now. But Dylan, you're right though. He um, Tony finds his first idol of the season. We kept hearing over and over again, I'm laying low. I'm playing a social game. I'm doing my best to lay low. They're not seeing where I'm coming from. And all of a sudden I'm going to strike. And we saw that tonight. Tony played a really low key under the radar social game up until this point. Wasn't really looking for idols. And now he decides, you know what? We're on day 26 or 27. There are, let's see, after Sophie left there, I think there's now, what, eight people left now? Four, three, yep. two? Yeah, eight. Yeah, there's, um, no, I'm sorry. Sorry, after tonight, there's eight. So there was nine this episode. Tony's like, it's final nine. I got to play. Um, and he finds an idol and he successfully says, you know what? I already looked at the well. So Nick, let's, you look over there. No, Tony was doing really good here from all angles. Yeah, I mean, at some at some point you got to play Hef, right? Like, what what do you think about that? Like, he has been laying low, and I know that Hef, you've been critical about that the whole time. You're just you've been itching to watch Tony play, and he finally does play this episode. Like, final nine, you got to play, right? Yeah, Tony's my favorite survivor ever because he was so aggressive in his first season, and especially in a winners at worst season, I don't want to see someone that's playing so under the radar the entire time. As it, we're four weeks in at this point, it's about time that we saw vintage tony and he had and i think that this episode alone gave him the most dominant dominant performance of the entire season so far so glad to see my boy back in action yeah and then we had that uh after tony finds the immunity idol and i think it's so funny because it's it's almost like 
it's almost like, you know, you had the very beginning where Tony was like, I have to stay low. I have to stay low. And then you have tonight where Tony was just like itching to make moves at every single, every single possible point he could. And an example of that is when the whole fashion show thing happened and you get the fashion show going on and everyone's just like playing along with it and playing along with Sarah and whoever else was organizing that. And then Tony's just like, no, I'm not staying here. I want to, I want to like play the game. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah. I was like, and Sarah was like, well, he's not playing a good social game because he won't go along with my fashion show. Like, I, I don't really know. I also he, thought that was weird too. It like, was weird that he did it, that he was so against it. And it was weird how like offended Sarah was that he wouldn't participate. <laughs> I don't know how against it he was. I just think that's Tony's relationship with Sarah, where he kind of just messes around with her. He plays the good cop. She plays the bad cop. I think that he, that's just how he is with her. They just have a very joking relationship. Um, but no, I mean, I think it was weird to see Sarah say that. You guys are right, because Tony has been playing a very good social low-key game. Yeah, he's known for doing flashy things, but he's been really good socially this season, so I'm not sure why she said that. And about the fashion show, I I actually changed my mind. When I first saw it, I was like, this is corny. They're playing the, the, the corny music. I don't like this. And then I was thinking about it, and I'm like, I'm thinking back to old seasons. I'm thinking back to, you know... In this first season, we see Dr. Sean vote people out with his, you know, his alphabet strategy. We see Shane on his BlackBerry. Like, we see so many, like, fun little character moments. And we see, like, people, like, building up who they are as a person. And I kind of miss the show having those human moments sometimes. I know in today's age, we always see the game being played. And it's moving, like, a million miles an hour. But I like, in a a weird way, I kind of like seeing, like, the human moments and seeing the character building, in a way. I'm not sure if I'm crazy on that. I agree with that, Ryan. And something I want to talk about the fashion show, actually. So Sarah said that, Sarah said, what is Sarah going to do after after Survivor? And she was hyping up her ability to make clothes. And she fashioned that one skirt that uh, I think Kim was wearing. Sarah, I gotta say, don't quit your day your day job so quickly because I don't think that skirt was anything special. And I think, and do you guys think that the people on at camp were kind of hyping her up, even though they didn't think the skirt was anything good? I thought they were acting a little fake there. I think I think it's so weird because when you see these moments at camp and you're like you're like, what are they doing? And then you think and you're like, all right, I'm bored in quarantine right now. We've been sitting in the house all day, but at least we have like we we we're on our computer right now we're on we watch tv they are just sitting on an island with so much so much downtime yeah i was like go though and i mean you have that paint i mean i guess you got to try and do something but that is funny that you say that half about um, i'll tell you what i loved the checkers that was painted on the log you guys saw that yeah Yeah, that is true love that when i'm on survivor i'm gonna steal that Yeah. I mean, they have to just be occupied somehow. People always forget that, you know, usually an episode consists of like 72 hours because every episode kind of goes over like three days, essentially. And if you factor out, you know, like an hour or so for challenges, like reward and immunity, you factor out like three or four hours for tribal council, maybe something else. There's like 50 plus hours of just doing nothing. I mean, even if you take out sleeping, there's just so much downtime. They have to do something. And I think Jordan, that. I mean, to play a good social game, they probably hyped her up. I mean, you know, Kim's playing a good social game. Denise, like if, if they're saying, oh, Sarah, you're such a good designer, they're playing a good social game because they're kind of, you know, catering to Sarah's emotions. But I also think Sarah's actually an underrated social player as well. So I feel like it's a little bit of both. I agree. Yeah. And then right after that, we had, you know, they started to get into it with Tony. And Tony was trying to play the double agent. And I'm immediately saying like, oh, no, like Tony's going too fast. Like the double agent never 
at least in recent seasons, never succeeds. Like usually like they're always like, oh, he's playing the double agent. And I think it's funny because Jeremy seemed to believe Tony so much. And Kim was just like, nah, like he's BSing. Like there's no way that that's a thing. And so I, I thought that was a fun moment, but it was about, it was setting the tone for what was about to be complete chaos in the episode. Yeah, no, I think that this just proves how great of a social player that Kim is. Kim is really able to connect with people, but also suss out who's, you know, lying and who's kind of what, what their inner motivations are. So Kim, I'm not surprised she sniffed it out. I feel bad for Jeremy. I know we'll, we'll keep talking about this as we go down the episode, but Jeremy, I felt bad. This just was painting Jeremy in a, and I, and listen, I love Jeremy. Jeremy's one of my favorite players, one of my favorite winners. It was painting him, you know, almost as like, you know, clueless. Everybody's lying to me. Everybody's telling half truths. Um, oh, I, I got Kim and Denise like this. I'm good. And until Tony tells, tells him the plan, he's completely in the dark. So I feel like this is just unfortunate because Jeremy, I think, is a great player, but we're just seeing him out of the loop here. Um, no, it's just crazy. Yeah, and I, I, I do want to, you know, and maybe it's just part of Jeremy's story this season. It seems like he's been dealing this a few with this a few weeks, but meanwhile, he's still in the game, so credit to him for that. Mm-hmm. And I do want to get to Edge of Extinction. Um, and look, I think we're all getting to the point of this season in Edge of Extinction where, like, look, I have barely complained about it the entire time. I know nobody's a huge fan of it, but sometimes you get to a point where you're like, okay, this is just way, way, way too much. And finding an advantage is fine. Putting an advantage back into the game is fine. But putting an overpowering advantage like extortion into the game within the final nine, that is a bit much. There is a lot to break down here. We got to go, you know, all about this extortion advantage. First of all, I think that we need to know exactly what the rules were. Were Parvati and Natalie, and also credits to Natalie and Parvati for finding this part. I think between the two of them, except for that one week where Robin Tyson found all the tokens on that like egg hunt, like Natalie and Parvati have found the rest of the advantages. So kudos to those women for doing that. But was there any well, Parvati's only that... found the one, right? What's up? Parvati's only found the one, right? Well, I mean, she and Danny found the one with the um, Michelle, with, the Michelle, the, the flip a coin, and then this week Parvati kind of ha- half found the extortion. So Parvati's found like two things. Natalie, uh, Michelle, uh, what's her face? Natalie's found like four things, five things. So they're both doing great. My question Natalie is: Natalie is the queen of extinction. Uh, oh, I love Natalie. My question, though, is, was there any rule about how many tokens they could charge? Like, what's stopping? And I'm going to probably reference Mike Bloom. Mike Bloom is a member of, you know, the RHAP community. Uh, uh, Mike's amazing, but he has a lot of great points I want to bring up in this podcast. He says, you know, what's realistically stopping Natalie and Mich- uh, Natalie and Parvati from charging Tony 25 tokens? Like, is there any rule saying how much you can charge? If there's no rule, they could just say, all right, give us 25 and he physically can't pay that much. Well, I think that they, I mean, they have an incentive to actually get tokens from him, right? So I think they're trying to one up the price so they can maybe get a pretty hefty reward or make it so they kind of screw him over. So I think that they were just, I think they were realistically trying to find a market to get a really good reward. Yeah. But the other thing though, oh, go down. I, I was just going to say, like, I think that they should have maxed it out probably at a little bit lower than six. Now, if you at first I was like, why would they charge six? Like, there's just no way that Tony's going to be able to grab those tokens. And I mean, he ended up doing it, which was probably a miracle. But like six is a lot of tokens. And this could have easily just like had a and we're, we're lucky that Tony got the tokens and ended up paying it off. And now just people have less tokens rather than Tony not being able to vote and something ridiculous happening tonight because of that 
and Tony not again, Tony not even be able to win the immunity challenge. But look, I just I just think that they should have probably capped out at four or five. Six was Why? a big much. I now you right. they got six. No, you're you're right that they have the incentive, but I just think that it, it could have and you're right that they do have the incentive to get the tokens, so you wouldn't want to charge that high. But I just think that it could have things could have completely blown up in a way that I don't think that Edge of Extinction should have a factor in. And I, I'm, I'm for the, I like the way that the edge is being used with the challenges, with the advantages being sold, sold for tokens. But I just think that this was a little bit too much, too far into the game. Yeah. I think it also, you know, kind, kind of um, pigeonholes people. Cause Mike also brings up the fact that, you know, tokens are now double as short. Cause if now, if you have a lot of tokens, you can get mugged. Like if you have a lot of tokens and people know that they're going to say, okay, we're going to extort you for all your tokens. You can't play advantages. You got to pay us tokens or else you're going to, have a dis- disadvantage in the game. So I feel like now tokens are being seen not just from a strategical sense, but also they can screw you if you have too many and people know about it. Dylan, can you highlight the comment about what incentive do they have if t- uh, Andrew asked, what incentive do they have if Tony is out of the game, if they're also out of the game? Because I saw that I saw that they were talking about how they really liked the reward because they had a chance to screw up Tony's game or, or really change the game on the other side. And I'm sitting there thinking the same thing. Like, why why do they really care about messing up Tony's game? I mean, they're not they're not even in it. So I think that it's just it's more of just a it's more of just like a saltiness kind of thing. Like I think that they just like if they have an opportunity to just like they they're they're they've been on edge of extinction for so long. If they have the opportunity to blow up the game, like you're gonna you're gonna do it. But I don't I don't really think it's an incentive other than an emotional one. Do you agree with that or I thought it was weird. I don't know. I don't know why they talked about screwing up somebody's game. I, I feel like if anything, they would want to get somebody like I don't know Michelle out of the game because well, if they screw up Tony's game and prevent him from being able to participate in the challenge and also being a part of the vote, then maybe Michelle gets voted out and she is somebody that they're going to compete against in the next challenge. Like, why would they want to get someone like Tony to eventually be competing against them? You know what I'm saying? I. Th- yeah, I think it's just like they they also I don't know if you remember this, but I think pretty sure Poverty brought up the idea of the fact that they needed to give this to give this opportunity to somebody who was willing to be like to be crazy enough to pay that price. So I, I there was a little bit of there was I don't think there's necessarily strategy in like blowing somebody else's game up. I think maybe they just like got satisfaction out of the fact that they were doing it, honestly. I don't but that's what I don't that's what I think is a is a problem here. Like if you're voted out of the game, should you have that much of an impact on what's going on to that point where you could literally end somebody's game right then and there if Tony couldn't get the tokens. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I'm not going to defend the edge. I, I know I'm not, I'm with most people. Most people don't like the edge of extinction. I just, it's a very strong advantage because you definitely could screw someone's game over if, if they've been playing a good game. And I feel like the exchange, the economy of changing tokens over so that way you can uh, get advantages is interesting for sure but when you like dylan said when you have the power to really affect the game in a way that completely nullifies somebody's you know power in the game just because they have a lot of tokens i feel like it's a little too powerful i feel like it was great tv and great gameplay seeing that tony will get the tokens he needs but i just think it's really really powerful but you know it does kind of reference what we saw earlier in the season like you said dylan where Natalie was saying when Natalie found like four advantages in a row, she's like, I have to give it to who needs it. Like who needs this and who will use this? Like Jeremy, when he was out of the vote, needed the safety without power. 
when she gave an idol to Sandra, she's like, Sandra's a two-time winner. Sandra could use an extra idol. So you have to kind of tailor it to who will use it. And like they, Parvati says, who's chaotic enough? Who's somebody who will use this and get the tokens and make sure without a doubt they get the tokens? It's Tony. Tony's not going to stop at anything. So I, it makes sense in a way, though. I didn't love the advantage. I don't love the edge, but it was kind of fun to watch. And I, I don't, don't want to... Okay, go, go. Sorry. Okay. I was going to say, I don't want to harbor on this topic too much, but that was another thing that stuck out to me. Like, who in the game wouldn't be crazy enough to do whatever they can to get six tokens? I mean, I don't think that's a characteristic of well, Tony being well, wild. I think that if any that anybody in that situation would have done whatever they could to be able to participate in the challenge and, and vote in the tribal. Yeah, I, I do agree with that, but I, I want to give Tony a ton of credit here, and I wanted to get into this before we harp too much on the actual debate about the edge. Tony played the double agent in the perfect episode to where he was able to grab yep. tokens from both sides and you knew Nick was going to do it. You, you knew, you knew Ben was probably going to do it. Now, the fact that he's able to get one from Jeremy so easily after being on the other side of the Alliance, like really impressive stuff from Tony. And as, as I said, the blind side of Sophie tonight does not happen without Tony being that crazy and that well, ha not like, he just had such good relationships with everybody that he was able to get those tokens. And that blind side does not happen if his social game had not been as good. So I do think that you got to give Tony a lot of social credit there. Oh, 100%. Tony played this so well. Tony's known for being great at this in Kageon, playing double agent, going back and forth. No one's suspecting a thing. It's shocking that these winners would give up their tokens, even Jeremy, so easily. No, Tony played this really, really well. We saw a lot of great gameplay from Tony tonight. And a lot of people who have said Tony's been, you know, laying low. He's been kind of, you know, playing a social game, but we want to see more from Tony, like the, the old Tony, if he can make it work. We saw Tony playing this really well tonight. Yeah, I, th I thought it was, it was absolutely great. And then next thing you know, so he went into last week having never won an individual immunity challenge. And now you have this week where he wins his second one in a row. And then what was even crazier about this is I'm thinking to myself, all right, winner gets two tokens of the immunity challenge. So first of all, I want to throw out that in a season that's been, been this chaotic with an incentive, an extra incentive to get fire tokens, nobody's nobody's throwing this challenge, this immunity challenge to lower their threat level at this point. You got to get any immunity you could at this point. You have to try and get the tokens if you could. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, Tony's got to repay this debt. He took tokens from three people and he only got two back. So did we ever get clarity on who he gave it, if he gave it back or who he gave it back to? I'm sure we'll find out next episode. Yeah, that's what uh, Andrew and Annie were talk talking about in the uh, chat earlier. They were asking, you know, was it said if he's going to give it back? Uh, who did he give it back to? We didn't really see anything. All we saw as Tony was leaving the challenge was I won two in a row. I got two tokens. I can now pay back my debts. And the biggest thing of all is that Jeremy didn't win and I took it away from him. So now we can vote him out, which obviously was, you know, a misdirect. Um, but no, I feel like to answer Annie's question is that we didn't see officially who he'll give it back to. Maybe he already did and we'll see it in a flashback. If you guys remember in these last few seasons, we see the editors doing a lot of flashbacks, like something already happened and they go, but guess what? This just happened two hours ago. So we might see that he paid off his debts or... We'll see that he hasn't paid it off yet. Either way, like you said, Dylan, I didn't think Tony Lacos could win one challenge, let alone two back-to-back. -back. So this was absolutely amazing to watch. Yeah, I just want to say, I think um, if I had to guess who he gave it to, 
I would guess he he ha- he had to have given it to Jeremy back because otherwise Jeremy's not voting with him tonight. Exactly. If you don't so, pay Jeremy back, you tip him off. Absolutely. Right. So Jeremy probably got one back, and then I would have to say that I don't really know between him and Nick. Um, I would have to guess that it's if Nick voted with him tonight. I feel like that there's a decent chance he gave it back to Nick and like probably told Ben like I, who knows what he could have told Ben. But I, what do you guys think about that? Have you want to go? Yeah, so I agree. I think that he is definitely going to end up giving it to Jeremy, whether he has or hasn't already. And I think that if I was him, I would probably give it to Ben because Ben seemed to put up a little more of a fight. And obviously Ben is more flippant than Nick is because Nick seems to be in Tony's back pocket. So I think that those are the two people I would give it to. Nick seems kind of willy-nilly about it. Well now, well, now I have to flip this on you and say, well, what do you tell Nick if you're not giving him the token back? And he knows you got two. That's a great question. I honestly don't think I would. I don't think I would lie to him. I would just. I would just tell him the truth. Nick. Nick doesn't need the tokens. I think I was his only one, right? Yeah, no. I don't know. You just. You just don't want to create unnecessary enemies, and that is a dilemma, unfortunately, for for Tony. Yeah, I. I mean, I would probably would just tell Nick that. He had to pay six tokens for this. That one token isn't going to make or break him. If he wins another challenge, he'll repay Nick. But Nick's not going to be a target for, for anyone on the edge who wants to extort a reward from him. There, he's One one token is not the market in today's game. I have to answer your question. Nick had three before. Oh, he had um, three? He had three. So Nick had tokens. Who did he get them from? Nick's been getting tokens from a couple people. Wendell gave him a token when he got blindsided and his other token came from Tyson. If you remember when Nick took out Tyson in the fifth episode and Tyson Tyson was our fifth boot and there was a whole conversation about, you know, Parvati's my crush and Tyson was like my idol. Tyson gave the whole cheeky thing of Nick, here's a token from your idol. So Tyson and Nick gave, sorry, Tyson and Wendell gave Nick their tokens. That's how he had three. Good, Ryan. Ryan, speaking of Survivor history, uh-oh. When was that? Um, when was that challenge played before? I like that challenge a lot. With the uh, balancing the thing with the ten foot pole. Yeah, we've seen a lot of variations of it. Honestly, like we've seen. I'm not lying though. But whether it was this one where the statue is in front of you and you're holding the, po- the pole horizontally, or it's like in Samoa where the it, the pole's like directly over your head and it has to balance it like over your head, or even ones where in Nick's season the pole was in the palm of your hand and you had to balance it like this. So we've seen a lot of these pole challenges. I can't tell you exactly where we saw this variation first, but we've seen this balancing a statue with the pole a lot. Survivor loves this challenge. Yeah, and uh, so Thank I, you, Ryan. it was. It seems like it's. It seems like such a difficult challenge because you like you can't touch it too much but like you can't let it go too much so you have to find that middle ground but uh yeah i going into the vote tonight and that when when all when everyone was you know talking at camp before the vote i'm saying to myself all right so kim and denise thought it was best to try and flip with the majority because they thought that they had no hope michelle was kind of just like out of the equation she didn't really know what she was going to do it seems like she was going to stick with jeremy no matter what now like I, even though I, even though I thought in this season, I'm like, all right, I'm like, there's no way that there's going to be an easy vote like this in, in winners at war. Like they're never just going to be like Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. And then it's actually going to be Jeremy. That's what I had always thought. I thought for a second. Now I didn't think this going actually, like, I didn't think this once they were actually at tribal council, but there was a moment there where I was like, 
Jeremy may not be able to get his way out of this one. Like he looked pretty screwed, and thankfully for Tony, he did save him. Yeah, thank God they're not picking this the minority alliance off one by one. Oh, I mean, we we deserve better than that in this season. Thank, thank God that's not happening. Yeah, no nobody likes a paganging ever. But um, no, I mean, a what? It's called a paganging. Is that uh, okay? Real all right, all right. Survivor quick, term. Quick, quick history lesson: In the very first season of Survivor, the two tribes were Tagi and Pagang. At the merge, we see the first alliance ever created by Richard Hatch of him, Rudy, Kelly, and Sue. Basically, there was no alliances except for his at this point. Alliances weren't a concept yet. Everybody on the on the Pagong tribe voted for each other, like one vote here, one, 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 one. And the alliance of four voted together. It was literally a four to one to one to one to one like vote. And after that, because Tagi now had the numbers and Pagong was now on the outs, they picked them off one by one. So they, they called it a Paganging. So whenever you see in Survivor a tribe get like picked off one by one, we call it a Paganging. There's your um, I also see in the that. chat it's also the capital of North Korea. I think that's actually oh. Pyongyang. <laughs> I can't comment on that. <laughs> yeah, but what a perfect time for Tony to strike and make his first huge move of the game. We've been talking about for weeks how Sophie has been playing an under the radar game um to the point like it well she was under it she was under the radar at first going into the season because I, I think that everyone would have probably agreed that she was of the bottom tier winners going into the season. And she ended up playing what was a great social game, at least until up, up until this point. She found the idol, and then she ended up not not playing it tonight because she had no idea it was coming. But just what an opportunity for Tony and Nick to really or Tony to orchestrate this vote. Um, it's it, it it just like it was so perfect. He knew the split was coming. This was probably going to be his only time he could do it without S Sophie seeing it coming, or even Sarah or Ben or anybody in that alliance. So props to Tony for just sniffing out that right exact time to do the blind side and i want to give credit to my brother who has been saying all season like i don't know what you're talking about i think i think sophie's on her way to get getting blindsided like sooner or later it's going to happen her and sarah can't coast through this game and that is ultimately what tony did fear he said yep he's too close to Sa she's too close to sarah but now my question is what is tony gonna do going forward with sarah how is how is that gonna work it's gonna be really Go ahead, Oh, sorry. I'm saying it's going to be really interesting. And also, like you said, this is not a knock against Sophie. I think Sophie played an amazing game until this point. I think she, I think if there was a question of, you know, bottom tier winners, mid tier, high tier, and then like legend or top tier, Sophie easily went up a tier. Sophie demonstrated that she can play this game really well, socially, physically with the puzzle beast. Jordan, I don't care. You're, you're wrong. <laughs> she dominated the puzzle. She was great socially. She was a great strategically. And then she went out here. Legend. No shame in that. So listen, I'm not saying she played the best game of the season, but she played a good game. Now, getting back to Tony, like Dylan said, where does he go from here? It's really interesting because this is exactly like Kagiyan, and I have to wonder who is his Trish. Is Because here's the thing. This is like Kagiyan. Tony sticks with his alliance at the final 11 where they blindside Sarah. Then they take out Morgan. Final nine is Tony's first flip where they flip on LJ. Then he stays with his alliance. Then at final seven, he flips on Jeffra. Stays with his alliance at six. Then flips on... Um, on a Trisha five. So we see Tony flip on his Alliance here at nine. The question is, does he stay loyal next week and then flip again at seven or does he keep flipping week to week? Now the question is Nick is his new woo. Nick is his new sidekick. And we'll have to see if there's a Trish this season to put out Tony's fires. Cause Sarah's going to be pissed after this vote. The question is who is going to be the one to calm Sarah down? Cause in his first season, whenever Tony flipped, 
Trish would go around to the Alliance and say, it's okay. I'll come, I'll, I'll come him down this time. He's not going to do it again. I promise he does it again. But Trish is like, I will take care of it. Trish was playing Tony's social game for him. I'm wondering now if Tony can put out the fires himself or does he have a new person to like calm everything down now? So Ryan, I, so my take on that is that he seems pretty good at calming Sarah down as it is. There's, a, there's been a couple of times of the season where Sarah doesn't know why Tony's acting a certain way or why he's planning a certain move. And then he seems to be able to convince her of whatever he's doing and that it's happening for a reason. I think that we're going to see next episode, she's going to be really angry. And at the end of the day, they're going to do their classic cops are us, even though cops are probably no longer us after that vote out because he's going with a different group of people. But I think that, I think that he's going to be able to convince her to stay with him. And I want to talk about Sophie again, Dylan, can you highlight the, uh, the Sophie being a dog comment? No, um, no, no, no. Let's, yeah, let's not I, need th- I need 30 no. seconds. Sophie's no. not a dog. So Sophie was great at puzzles, but then that's a very, very small part of the game because it's only part of the, of the uh, tribal challenges. Social game was not great. I don't know what she did other than I don't, I don't like nobody was that tight with her other than Sarah. Um, she was not and, great strategically. I think, I think the, I don't really think, I, I don't think we saw that much. And also, it. also, I would like to say that she, she maneuvered the Wendell vote. She always knew the vote that was going home. Like she would, she would be the one, like people would go to her and be like, am I safe? So she, I think she was playing a good social game. In she that didn't act. maneuver the Wendell vote. That was Sarah. No, it wasn't. It was Sophie. No, no, that was Sophie. It was Sophie. I thought Wendell wanted to get Sarah out and then Sarah ended up flipping it. No. Oh, go, 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 go ahead, Ryan. No, I mean, listen, Sarah obviously was a key part of that vote too. But the main thing we see in the episode is Sophie seeing Wendell and Jeremy all buddy, buddy. Sophie's saying, you know what? This is a good chance to weaken Jeremy by taking out a limb from him and Wendell. And then we even see in a separate side part of the beach, Wendell going to Jeremy and saying, dude, Sophie is playing hard, man. And Sophie probably knows that Wendell is aware of how good she's playing and she takes him out. So I think Sophie does get a lot of credit for the Wendell move. Again, this is a knock against her to get voted out with an idol in your pocket. So, you know, that does hurt a little bit, but I do think until this point, Sophie has played a good game. I'm not going to deny that. I don't think it's been anything special. And I don't think I've, I don't think she's been playing bad by any means. I think I'm fine with how she's been doing, but I think that we're really, really overrating her the past few weeks. Well, I mean, I mean, look, she was, she was in the controlling Alliance for pretty much this entire game. So I do want to give her credit that she, she's been she, coasting. She, but well, she, I think she, it completely exceeded my expectations. Now I, I know this episode, she goes home with the idol in her pocket. I don't want to stick too much on a stick harp too much on Sophie's game in this uh, right now. Cause I, I want to talk about the way the numbers are going to go going forward. Um, so let's, let's discuss how exactly how, like how, how did the votes play out tonight? Ryan, the numbers on each side go through that and then we'll talk about alliances or what we think is going to happen going forward. Yeah. So the way the numbers broke down was a lot easier than last week. Last week was a complete shot in the dark. Nobody knew where the votes fell until YouTube, the survivor YouTube page posted it at midnight. We all thought that Wikipedia was right. And the survivor wiki was right. That, you know, Nick and Michelle voted Denise, but that wasn't the case. So this week was a lot easier to track the numbers. The Alliance of five, is going to split the votes between Jeremy and Michelle. They're going to throw two votes on Michelle just in case Jeremy whips out an idol and the rest are going to go on Jeremy and th- we'll, we'll go from there because everybody now is on, everyone's in on the plan now that Kim and 
Denise had joined them. So it was going to be two votes on Michelle just in case, maybe three votes on Michelle, whatever, and then the rest on Jeremy. Very straightforward and simple. Tony is now able to suss out, okay, we are going to split the votes. They are now putting three and two. The great thing about split votes is that if someone doesn't stick to the vote, Tony, it's very easy to make the plan fail. So he says it's going to be three and two. Well, it, it was, it, it was, I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, but oh, yeah. it, it was, no, it just, it was, it was supposed to be five and two with, uh, yeah, exactly. with, right. With Nick and Tony in that majority exactly, yeah. five. So, right. So they leave and now it is three, two. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, I kind of jumped this step ahead. Yeah. Right, sorry. Right. Five, two. Tony says, if I take away two from the five, I now have four with Nick, sorry, with Nick, myself, Michelle and Jeremy, and then it'll be three of them still voting the same Two of them still voting the same. It's now a four, three, two. And kind of like in a way, we see Sari Fields play the three-two-one in um, Panama. We see Jeremy Paul. We see we see Tony pull off a four-three-two, and it was so great to watch. Tony played it so well, flipping sides. And I want to also highlight, you know, like you said, Dylan at the starts, or maybe Jordan said it. I don't think you can top this. Like this may be one of the best single episodes somebody has had. Eighteen confessionals, finds an idol, beats the extortion advantage, gets tokens from people that are winners. Wins immunity, gets a plurality vote with a four three two, and he flushes Sophie's idol all in one episode. It was awesome. It, and this, is the first, this is the first time all season I was screaming after the votes were read. I haven't screamed the whole season. <laughs> oh wait, are you telling me? Are you telling me you didn't scream when Denise took Sandra's idol and then voted Sandra out with that? Oh, I did scream for that. No, that, yeah, that, I was say, that, you had to. that was scream worthy. But. <laughs> Were you? I want to ask a quick question here. Were you guys in any in? Were you guys in any stretch worried that Jeremy was not going to believe Tony to the point where he wasn't going to go along with the vote? Oh, a, a little. I was shocked that he went along with it. A little. I mean, there's always a chance that the editors are trying to like mislead us with this big plan that doesn't end up happening. I had a feeling Sophie was going to get it tonight, but there is always a small chance that you're right, Dylan. Jeremy was going to not believe it. Yeah, and I think that this is going to be a big, big storyline going forward is the trust that Jeremy and Tony have in each other. Because while Tony spoke a lot about getting Jeremy out in this episode and then eventually ended up saving him, Jeremy realizes that in order for his uh, meat shields strategy to work, Tony has to be in the game. I think that for Tony's sake as well, he needs to keep Jeremy around because now at this point, Tony's clearly a big target. He's clearly the one in control. And I'm hoping that Tony is smart enough to realize that to the point where he doesn't go ahead and just vote out Jeremy next week. That was Andrew Heifler's uh, comment in the chat. He was wondering why why Tony would want to keep Jeremy around and why Tony would feel incentivized to flip on his majority alliance of five to try to save Jeremy. And yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you, Dylan. It's because that if he keeps Jeremy around, who's a huge target, he might be able to make it one more vote. Yeah. I mean, you keep... I mean, the meat shields is a strategy that everybody tries to use that fits that mold. And yeah, if Jeremy's in the game, Tony can skate by another week. The biggest question now moving forward, like we were talking about, is how does Sarah react? Probably not well. And how does Tony maneuver that? Because if he can maneuver that, I think he's in a good spot, even if Jeremy is there as a shield. Because Sarah is good at this game. Sarah can easily try to flip things around on Tony. I don't think it's going to happen. and I think it actually might backfire on her, but we'll have to see how it plays out now. I think Jeremy in the game is good for Tony. He is incentivized to keep Jeremy in the game now. Yeah. I think um, if we're just looking at 
going forward. So if it were the split from tonight, it's four four. So once so with Sophie gone, it's four four. So you have the one side, which is the alliance without Tony that we've been watching this entire game, uh, plus Kim and Denise. Am I am I thinking about this right? So it'd be like so Sophie's gone, Tony's on the other side, and now you have um you have so you've Kim and Denise added to Ben and Sarah, and then the other side is Tony, Jeremy, uh, Michelle, and Nick. Now the question is. Is Nick gonna keep? Is Nick gonna stick with Tony, or is Nick gonna just be all over the place? Um, is is Jeremy and Tony gonna be incentivized to work work with each other? Is Michelle and we've seen Michelle talking a lot to Kim. Um, I don't, but they never seem to be voting together, which is weird. So is that something that could possibly come up um, down the line? And something that my brother mentioned actually when we were watching is like Kim. Kim's airtime has gone significantly up recently. I feel like she's been a lot more involved, but she just has not been on the right side of, of anything, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that Kim has had a very interesting edit this season. I mean, granted coming off of Kim's first season and she, after the poker Alliance kind of crumbled when Amber went out, she kind of was really, really quiet. And now she's coming back with a lot of her options and yeah, I mean, I feel like everybody has a story. We always hear, you know, what's the story? Penner always used to say, what is your story? And it, you're right, Dylan. It looks like Kim's story is that Kim has options. Kim is doing a good job or a decent job at least. But, you know, every time she tries to get into something, it doesn't work out or she's on the wrong side of it. So I don't know if this means that Kim is going to, you know, take charge of this game. I don't know if this means that she's going to keep trying to get in and it's not going to work. She might get to the end and people are going to say, were you ever really on the right side of things? Like, we don't know how Kim's story is going to play out in terms of Nick. And to answer your question, I I can see him being the woo. I could see him being somebody who's going to stick with Tony. Maybe he thinks Tony's always going to be a shield in front of me. Why would I get rid of Tony? It makes sense. And he says, you know what? Also, if anything happens, you know, I'll be good. Who's going to come after me. My name is brought up a lot, but Tony's now that he did this crazy move. Tony's way in front but if he goes to the end with Tony or he goes far with Tony, it might backfire. And the biggest thing of all is that before the season, we said, even when Jordan and Jordan did say that if Tony wins the season, he was his winner pick. So I'll give him credit for that. But the point is we all said, oh, well, you can bring Tony far because Tony won't win any challenges. If Tony now gets to the final four or five and he either wins the final immunity or he wins the fire making, he's in the end, he's going to win. So now Tony is actually a challenge threat. So this is even more dangerous for Nick. Yeah, and I want to ask Hef this question right now. What do you think Tony, and this, before we get into questions from everyone in the chat, um, what do you think Tony needs to do going forward to make sure that not every single person is against him now and he has to play his idol immediately? I think we're going to see that he needs to play his idol immediately. I think he's going to have to play incredibly hard and somehow somehow swing the votes in his direction every single episode from here on out because... Just like Ryan mentioned, he's not only a threat for all the reasons we saw in his winning season, but now he's a challenge a challenge threat as well. That target has never been bigger on his back. And I think that, I mean, in my opinion, I think we're going to see him play his idol next week. And I think that in order for him to make it to the, final, to the finals, he's going to have to win a ton or just play insanely hard and have some luck on his side, honestly. Yeah, so I, I do agree with that, that um that tonight may make he may he he may have a tough path after this if everyone starts gunning for him after what he's done tonight but i do think that there is a slight chance that 
let's just say that Tony, as I said before, let's say he has Nick and Jeremy in his back pocket and then Michelle tags along with him. In a 4-4 vote, all they need is one more to flip over. Now the question is, everybody on that other side is going to be pissed. So do people like Kim and Denise maybe go over back with Jeremy or is everybody completely focused on getting Tony out? Because I know if I was playing the game, you got to be focused on getting Tony out at this point. It's so weird. It's it's actually really weird. I mean, Jeremy now knows that Kim and Denise weren't with him because the votes prove if Tony said, listen, I have four of us going against Sophie tonight and Jeremy sees that Sophie got four votes to go home, he knows that those were the four votes. So Kim and Janice can't be mad at Jeremy really because Jeremy should be mad at them, honestly, because they said, oh, I'm with you and he's not. And they weren't. So I, it's going to be really interesting to see the game board moving forward, especially because, you know, we were all scared after the vote out last week with the majority. It could be boring, but luckily we're in for a wild ride. Now the 4-4 split, the game board is all different. I think it's going to be really cool to see where the votes fall next week to see, you know, if Tony, Nick, Michelle and Jeremy stick together. Is Tony going to flip back? Is Sarah going to try to make a coalition to take out Jeremy? It's going to be actually really hard to predict um, like what's going to happen moving forward. I will say, I feel like, and again, I, I don't want to read the edit too much, but I have a feeling that Tony, like Jordan just said, he probably will be around for a bit now, whether he makes it to the end and wins, whether he's, you know, the final four person that gets cut out at the very end. I don't see Tony getting this much airtime just to flame out next week. He easily could, but I feel like he would play his idol if that was the case. So, Yeah, and um, I want to open it up to questions for anybody in the chat. And while we are waiting on questions, is there anything else you guys would like to hit on more? Um, How about I saw a question earlier in the chat that I wanted to talk about. Which was? It's at 947 from that Andrew Heifler. Um Instead, the, you guys know the Instagram trend with the Bill Clinton album covers? Yeah. No. Instead of, come on, Ryan, get with the times. <laughs> uh, people are posting their four favorite albums. And instead of four favorite albums, your four favorite Survivor contestants that never won. So non-winners. Oof, that's a tough one. Oof. If Wait, you so guys want to only- think it over, I can probably, I can probably rattle mine off. Wait, so the only criteria is they they haven't won. They could be a two-time player, one-time, three-time. Yep, your four-time. four favorite non-winners. Oh, God. I could pro- probably give two right now. I need to think about the other two. Um, While you're thinking, I'll, I'll rattle mine off. Yeah. Obviously, Kelly Wentworth. Okay. Um, Probably Philip, Special Agent <laughs> Philip. Um, Joe, Joe Anglim, Anglim, whatever is the challenge beats Joe. And another challenge beast, Ozzy. I would have to say for this one that Kelly's definitely on there. I want to say Dom is on there. Um, I think Suri, I, like I think Suri may be on there. And oof, one more, one more. Wow. Um, I don't really know. I, I need. I what? What would you say, Ryan? It, it's so hard and it's tough because we're not a- Andrew asked a really tough question. Cause he's not saying who's the best for to never win. He's saying like who your favorite ones. So we can go with, you know, who the strategists, the challenge beasts like Ozzy, we can go with the great characters like coach and Phillip. There's a lot of ways you can go with this. And I feel like I also could diversify my portfolio and say, I want like, Oh, you know, my favorite strategic winner, uh, strategic player that didn't win 
my favorite challenge beast that didn't win my favorite um character it's i think Suri fields has to be on there my in my opinion the best player to never win ever Suri's got to be on there i maybe it's the new york, new york bias but i love dominic abate i think dominic easily could have and should have won ghost island i love dominic I, I love Ozzy. I love Kelly Wentworth. Um, Coach, I think, is one of the greatest characters ever. Russell Hans is obviously one of the best players. It, it's so hard to pick, like, four that, that that didn't win. I definitely would put Suri and Dominic on there, but I, I would need more time to think of my other two. All right, so I think that uh, you, like you said, would be in the running for my fourth spot. Uh, Amanda, Russell, uh, uh, Coach, definitely. There's a lot Amanda, of... Amanda, really? A lot. I, I I like I like the old like hero, heroes villains cast. I like like pretty much. I love that pretty yeah. much that whole cast. So I would say there's probably a lot of people from there that I really like Russell as well. Um, yeah. Do we have any other questions? Actually, while we're waiting for more questions, I wanted to kind of piggyback off of Andrew's question because I was talking with one of my friends that also watches Survivor, and he said, you know, and this was back I think week like. I think this was like back week four or five. So either Tyson just went out or it was Ethan. This was like early in the season. And he said to me, you know, I'm a newer fan. Like who was like on the Mount Rushmore of Survivor? Like it's obviously like Sandra because she won. And this is again before the EO, before EOE. We're going to leave that out of that before the EOE thing happened. Even before that, I was anti-Sandra. Okay. <laughs> Sandra, Parvati, Rob, and who else? And I was trying to think who would be the fourth person because you can Tony. go off with so many things here. What, Dylan? Tony. That I was not now, honestly, after seeing tonight, after tonight, Tony, it has to be Tony. And if Tony wins, it's definitely, he's on there. And then the question becomes, is Tony the goat? Is Tony the top three? It's going to be really cool to see if Tony wins the season. Is he considered the goat? Is he considered top three, no matter what top two, no matter what, what do you guys think? I think, I think that most of the players left, like if Jeremy wins, he's greatest of all time. If Kim wins, he's greatest of all time. If, Tony wins. He's greatest of all time. If Sarah wins, she's greatest of all time. And then everybody else who's left, I would say that because they have won twice, they enter the Sandra range where like it's borderline, whether they're top five, top three. Um, but I agree. The, I think it depends on who. The four I just named, I think are pretty confidently greatest of all time if they were to win. Cause though all four of those people I just named are considered great winners. Are you also counting the extinction people? I don't think that anybody that comes back from extinction could win the game. So no, I agree. I agree. I, agree. Ooh, I don't agree with that. Really? That's a good topic of conversation then. Um, I, I, I really think that if like, obviously they have to get to the end. Right. But I think that if they're, if somebody from the edge is in the end, I think that they have a pretty good shot to win. See, I, I, I feel like I'm on the fence, I, I, although I might lean more towards Dylan. I definitely agree, Hef, that you know it's possible that someone from the edge could win. We see Chris Underwood do it in Edge of Extinction, so it's not un- impossible. But the two reasons why I think someone from the edge can't win is that, number one, I don't think these winners, knowing that, because they saw Edge of Extinction before they went out there, I don't think they're going to let the person who gets back from EOE gets the end. So that's number one. And even number two, even if, okay, maybe if Tyson gets back in, maybe, maybe if Boston Rob, but anyone else, I feel like these winners aren't going to vote for someone on the edge to win the game. They're going to want, like Dylan said, the best of the best to be somebody who didn't have to come back. So it's going to be really tough. Um, And then also reference what Dylan was saying in terms of, you know, if this person wins their greatest of all time, it's tough because, 
I think if Tony does it, he's the greatest of all time. I think if Kim Spradlin does it, greatest of all time. Jeremy, I'm on the fence. I think Jeremy could be in that conversation. But what we're seeing from the edit, I feel like he's just not – he doesn't have the current game sense. He does seem a little bit out of the loop on things. I feel like even though she's on edge of extinction right now, right now poverty is still considered to be one of the greatest of all time because of her uh, her Micronesia and Heroes versus Villain seasons. But it's tough. I do think that Tony could – um become the greatest of all time. Can you pull up uh, Andrew's question? Cause he's asked it two or three times now about uh, the book at 10. Yeah. <laughs> he's asked it a couple times. Um, got a lot of good books back there, Andrew, a lot of good. Yeah. Books. Just for every, for everybody listening, we have a, we have Andrew in the chat asking Ryan what his favorite book on his bookshelf is. There are a lot of books, but one that I will say that I would recommend if anyone hasn't read it, cause it kind of applies to survivor is the classic Dale Carnegie book how to win friends and influence people. It has a lot of great life lessons about how to get people on your side, how to have people align with your way of thinking, how you can better endear yourself to others. And there is no better place where you can do that than Survivor. It was even said, if you guys remember, this is going to be a deep reference, and I hope I'm not alone on this. Do you remember when in Kagiyan, Trish got blindsided at Final Five? Yeah. And she and Cass were like butting heads. And then Trish goes up to vote and she's like, I would suggest you read a self-help book. It would be good for you. Do you remember that? You lost me on that one. It was kind of like, like a, a, it was a dig at like, I suggest you like read a self-help okay, book yeah. or whatever. Cass, before she went on Second Chance, posted a picture on Twitter of her reading How to Win Friends and Influence People. And wow. Cass had a pretty decent social game for the pre-merge. So if you want to read that classic book, that's a great book to read. I do have a thought. I have a before. Okay, wait. If half of you want to say anything about the book, go. But I want. I have a thought on the Edge of Extinction debate after uh, um i i also have that but i just i was gonna say that i don't like Cass. that's all <laughs> i mean it's not neither here nor there but it's just the book so all right so <laughs> all right here is what i think about the edge of extinction thing so i actually think that because the winners have been so vocal about not liking edge of extinction i don't think that somebody who comes back could win also i want to bring up something that i actually looked up very recently so on a season 38, Edge of Extinction, the original one, Chris won in a nine to four vote, I believe. Yeah. I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, that two that David Wright and Kelly Wentworth, two returning players, were two of the four votes for Gavin. If I'm correct here, I know Kelly definitely was. Um, so I'm just thinking that a play that players who have played before two or three times don't have a lot of respect for edge of extinction that the one-time players who, whose only season was edge of extinction may have the just, yeah, the four votes for Gavin, just for reference. And I'm looking this up. I don't remember this, but the four votes for Gavin were Rick, Lauren, Aurora, and Kelly. So only one okay, only former one. player in Kelly voted for Gavin. All right. Um, yeah. So I'm wrong on that, but the fact that Kelly did Gavin did, did give Gavin that vote, I think, I do, I do think that the, the players, especially the winners, are going to value staying in the game the whole time and not getting voted out. I, I hear what you're saying, but I think that even though those winners have expressed the fact that they didn't like the winner of season 38, they have a respect for how hard it is on the, ex on the edge of extinction. Even having played the game multiple times, a lot of them, they still have a respect for how difficult it is to live on that island. And... Like, you're going to tell me if poverty makes it in the final three that the people that were, she was living with for X amount of days aren't going to vote for her? I don't like, think so. 
I I think that I think that it, depending on who gets back from the edge, if they make it to the finals, I think that they are probably the favorite in my opinion to make it. Like Tyson, I think Tyson. If Tyson makes it to the finals, I think that he's hundred percent winning. All right, so Tyson's the one person I think would maybe have a chance just because he spent most of the time in the game. But then again, he was voted out twice. So yeah, I think I, I think that, that Tyson's a lock if he makes it to the end, and I think that a lot of people, if they were if they were to make it to the final tribal coming from the edge, I think they would win. I think it depends on a lot of things, though. I think it depends on a who comes back and b who they're up against. I think he, you're right. Tyson's the one caveat where i think if tyson because he's a great player been on the edge for a bit been on in the game for a bit tyson if he gets to the end i think he could win but i think if he's up against tony who is now maneuvering so well i don't think he wins i think it's both who comes back and who you're up against i think those are the two biggest questions you have to consider but the other piece that we were saying earlier is that i don't know if they let that person get to the end now granted if they comp beast their way out and they win all the challenges that's neither here nor there but if Tyson gets back in the game and let's just say he loses that first challenge to come back in, he's gone. So I think they're going to come back around like final six or whatever. So he has to win like two or three challenges to get there. They're not going to let that person get to the end. No way. Yeah. I, they, I, I, I agree with that. Um, and I think that the only way would be like, like Tyson comes back. He pulls some kind of crazy Chris Underwood type thing where he does like insane in the final six to the end. Like he pulls like, like goes against fire, like beats somebody in fire, plays an idol, plays an idol nullifier, like whatever. Like I, I think that that's really the only way, and I still think that that's like a five percent chance. Um, the, uh, the, wait, the last question I have for you guys, and then I'm, I'm out of questions. Is um, I know we still have a couple weeks to go before the finale. We still have it looks like only two weeks left, and then the week after that's the finale, so May twelfth. So two more regular weeks. Who do you guys have as your favorite to come back from Edge of Extinction right now? I feel like Tyson is a likely person to come back again, but something in my gut is just telling me, you know, Natalie keeps finding these advantages. Could it be Natalie? Um, could it be Tyson? Could it be, you know, Rob, Parvati? I think the people that have kind of fallen out of the edit, like Amber, Danny, Ethan, like Adam, they're not going to get back in. But I think it's going to revolve around either Parvati, Rob, um, Natalie, or Tyson. Those are my four. Give me Tyson. I you think, I think, Tyson? I, think I, I, I think Tyson and Natalie are the favorites, and my dark horse to get back in is Wendell. Ooh, interesting. Why? And I know, I know. You say falling out of the edit, he has, but there's still a few more weeks, so we'll see. No, I, I think that's actually a pretty interesting dark horse pick. I like it. No, yeah, good. he's he's great at challenges. Uh, I really still feel like we didn't get the proper end to the Wendell Michelle thing, so I would love to see a proper ending. But uh, yep. Yeah. All right, uh, so I guess we will wrap things up. Um, what an episode tonight. It was absolutely amazing to see Tony Kagayan back, Tony 1.0, and looking forward to next week, the week after, and then eventually the finale. Got nothing else for you guys. Grab your torches, head back to camp. Good night. <laughs>